We're getting closer and closer to the Culture Proof Conference 2024, and we could not be more excited. Yes, it's a great time for the whole family, a great time of ministry, mothers, fathers, uncles, aunts, grandparents, <laughs> everybody, the kids. We have uh, something for them as well. Of course, we have the Culture Proof Kids, Culture Proof Teens. It's going to be led by Maria Hamilton, the third, the third. <laughs> and also Mark and Amy Warren. And so, That's right. man, the kids are going to be equipped, and you can have some great discussions discussion and conversation with them as you head back home. We are so excited. This year's conference is hosted by Faith Baptist Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. When registration opens, you will be among the first to know. If you go to cultureproof.net, make sure you join our email list because we are going to blast out open registration to that list first. So go to cultureproof.net. Make sure that you stay connected. We're super excited about our guests who are all joining to talk about one thing, Mm. resistance the cultural trends that rival the truth. We're going to be talking about the ways that we can remain culture-proof from Mm -hmm. scientific apologetics, biblical apologetics, cultural apologetics. How do we live in this world as faithful followers of Christ? We're going to target every age group, so make sure you show up and bring your entire family. Yes, we're going to have a great lineup of speakers, which you'll be able to view their bios on the website, cultureproof.net. Once you go on, Abraham Hamilton III, Miki Addison, we're going to have Dr. Jason Lyle, Dr. Kathy Cook, and others. It's going Dr. To be great. Renton Rathbun, Dr. Lee Brand. We are super excited. Dr. Turin Dames. Mm-hmm. I feel like by next conference, I'm going to also have my doctorate just because <laughs> it kind of flows. Anyway, hey. we're super excited about what the Lord is doing, and we want you to join us. The Culture Proof Conference happening July 18th through the 20th at Faith Baptist Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. Stay connected because more information about that is rolling out just around the corner. You're going to find that at cultureproof.net, cultureproof.net. Make sure you join the email list. We can't wait. Culture Proof is brought to you by BJU Press Homeschool. If you've come to homeschooling or you're thinking of homeschooling to preserve a solid biblical worldview in your children, you should consider the curriculum we trust to help with biblical worldview formation. BJU Press Homeschool is here for you and with you as you center Christ in the education of your kids. Visit our friends today at BJUPressHomeschool.com. That's BJUPressHomeschool.com, the premier sponsor of the Culture Proof podcast. Thanks for listening to Culture Proof. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And today we are talking about Pastor Alistair Begg's response. Mm. We, um, When we addressed what I guess is like the controversy of should Christians attend a gay wedding um, or homosexual wedding or a homosexual ceremony that purports to be a wedding, if you want to be more accurate, um, we, you know, discussed whether or not there was a response um, from Pastor Bag. At the yeah. time, there was not one. That's right. But on Sunday, um, this past weekend, he actually preached a response, kind of. Um, okay. He addressed the controversy and um, and also uh, taught um, about the 
the propensity of all of us to be Pharisees. Mm -hmm. And so we want to talk a little bit about that today. But this has been quite a discussion. There's been a lot of people who have been writing and speaking on it. Um, We certainly have. And I think the reason for this is not to beat up Pastor Alistair Begg. I I, I feel like it's important to say that Pastor Pastor Begg is dear in the body of Christ. And this, you know, even this... um, this confusion that has been caused because of his advice to this grandmother, the reason I feel like it's so deeply, you know, felt by people is because the body of his work in ministry has been so opposite this type of response, so mm-hmm. opposite this type of counsel. And indeed, um, even members of his pastoral team, he said on Sunday, had an issue with the advice or the counsel that he gave to this grandmother. Um, But what we did is we went ahead and pulled um, several clips from his sermon this Sunday, this past Sunday at Parkside, where he um, is pastor since, I want to say like 1983. And and I thought we could listen to it and then maybe just kind of go in and out of it with some discussion on what Pastor Begg is actually saying. The conclusion, I'll just jump to it, and then we can work our way back. But the conclusion is that he doesn't believe that he needs to repent of this advice. He doesn't believe that um, he needs to recant. Um, and he says, I'm just I'm just not ready to do that. I don't believe that I need to do that. And so we'll hear that in the comments. But should we just jump into it? Or what, yeah, what are your thoughts? I just want to say, you know, to echo what you're saying, that um, he has a track record of being solid, uh, biblically speaking. Uh, Years and years and years, Mm. you know, and I think what people are wrestling with is that when you have a track record that's so solid and you say something like 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 what he said, the comments that he made, Mm -hmm. it is almost like weird because you're thinking like, wait. Because what what I did, I, we we looked at some uh, videos from the past. I, yeah. I sent you a couple of clips from the past. What he was really strong on this topic, preaching and, on and, Romans and un, one, yeah, unflinching. Yeah. So it, it, I think it caused people to feel like, man, what happened? Mm-hmm. Because he had been so. So I think that's the thing that people are wrestling with. You know, with Pastor Beg, it's not that uh, uh, you know man can be fallible, like yeah. can do things wrong. But uh, this issue is such. Uh, a a defining issue, you know, in our culture that to say, to be soft on it is, it it really, I believe hurts the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think a lot of people are trying to figure out like, man, hold on, what's going on here? And the doubling down is also, you know, uh, pretty puzzling to people. I, you know, I personally feel that Pastor Begg should maybe kind of step back and kind of survey the advice of his staff, you know, pastoral staff, and and hear what people are saying and maybe survey it more. You say he's not ready to repent yet or, or whatever, he's, you know, that comment was. But, man, this is such an egregious thing, and, you know, that he, I believe, need to take it seriously. I'm not saying he's, he's not, but that I, it would cause me to step back. It would cause me to kind of look back and say, like, hold on, am I wrong on this? Because... All of these, all of these people are are saying something and speaking out about this. So I need to like really survey this, you know. So I think we we need, do need to listen to his statements, mm-hmm. his comments, and then you know we can go from there. All right. Well, let's jump right into it. Um, I want to pick up. So where we pick up in what you are about to hear, or if you're watching on YouTube, what you are about to see is after he has preached on. Um, 
Luke chapter 15, where you've got the parable of the lost coin, um, you've got the parable of the lost sheep, and you've got the prodigal son. And he kind of uses that as a backdrop to talk about this, um, this pharisaical spirit that can be in each one of us, this attitude, um, you know, but he also paints the picture of God pursuing us, right? Mm. That the love of the father pursues us. And then he kind of juxtaposes that against um, the elder brother once he gets to um, the prodigal son um, parable. And so when we pick up here, he's talking about um, the heart of Pharisees, I believe. Let's listen. The Pharisees were committed to slavish outward obedience while inwardly they were estranged from God. And they said to one another, if only we can make sure that we don't get ourselves contaminated by any of that, then surely we'll be in a perfect position. But look at the way the fellow operates. And Jesus is telling this story in the awareness of the fact that it is these religious leaders who are opposed to him who will eventually kill him. In verse 29, I never disobeyed you. You never gave me a goat. No, I, I didn't get what I deserved. But this your son, can't even bring him to say my brother. This your son, actually this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, who said anything about prostitutes? Pharisees often complain loudly of sins they would be quite interested in committing themselves. Now, I, I want to just kind of pause there for a second, because when I, when I heard that as I was listening, I thought, you know, just as much as I think it's not fair for people to just pile on to Pastor Beg and to be um, to, to lack grace, to not be charitable. I think it's unfair for the body of his ministerial work um, to to be to not be considered. I think that that is not right. And I think even when you think about what Paul admonished Timothy and how we are to rebuke um, rebuke elders among us, like we have to be careful with that, right? That there should be great respect, mm -hmm. which we tried to do in our initial video and in our subsequent. Video video. Um, I think just as that would be unfair to just pile on to Pastor Beg, I think it's unfair that Pastor Beg would say somebody who is pointing out sin is hiding that sin or is fixated on that sin in some way. And he's going to kind of stay here for a little bit or return in, in, I guess, as he kind of gets into his sermon a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But this idea of, you know, the self-righteousness that comes from the Pharisee and that the Pharisee is fixated on the thing that, you know, he secretly is interested in yeah. um, and yet calling it out. Now, that just being preached in and of itself, yes, of course, we see the truth in that. We understand that, and we have seen that. But I think in context, knowing that there's been some criticism um, over his instruction to this grandmother, I think it's a little bit unfair, and yeah. I think it lacks charity for those who have concerns over how he has instructed this grandmother. I agree with that. All right, let's get back into it. Be very, very careful when you hear your pastor or your teacher, whoever it is, lambasting a certain area of life, especially in the realm of morality. 
time and time again, you will discover that that loud protestation actually, sadly, tragically, proved to be a very thin smokescreen for what was actually going on in the hearts of these people. In that conversation with that grandmother, I was concerned about the well-being of their relationship more than anything else, hence my counsel. Don't misunderstand that in any way at all. If I was in the receiving end of another question about another situation from another person in another time, I may answer absolutely differently. But in that case, I answered in that way, and I would not answer in any other way, no matter what anybody says on the Internet as of the last 10 days. Okay, so, and there's some applause that will follow that comment, but just hearing that, yeah. what, what are your concerns there? It's disappointing. Um, one thing is he's using the argument that the world uses, uses against the church all the time, mm. you know, and saying that, you know, you have repressed sexual desires. Yeah. That's why these things, you know, and it's like, no, you can't, don't, don't, don't do that. But then also he's saying that if it's a situation, a different situation, he may give a different answer. Man, I think we can only give the biblical answer. Mm -hmm. I think I I feel like this this um, issue is so clear in the sense of it, it may be uh, different emotions involved because of different relationships, but at the same time the the the, <laughs> the answer is the same. We've talked about in Deuteronomy mm -hmm. where you know it's, if your your mother or your your friend who is you know yes all that those relationships make it hard to deal with sin, but God requires uh, sin to be dealt with. Yes. You know? Absolutely. He said, your hand will come against them first. Like, so the thing is, I, I feel like the... <laughs> The only answer that can be given in different situations, you know, it might be a different uh, element to the different situations, but there's a biblical answer for that. We for can't this, affirm sin. Yeah. For this topic in particular, I feel like there is there is a black and white biblical answer. This is not whether or not you can eat meat having once been sacrificed to idols sold in the market, you know, for for consumption. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think that this is one of those disputable matters. And, and the reason I say that is because of the nature of Christ and the church that it reflects. When we're talking about marriage, it actually is something. It is yeah. not just a yeah. ceremony. It is something that God hid in this common grace for ages past, and then it was revealed in the Apostle Paul, or revealed to the Apostle Paul, that he might make it known to us. So we can't ignore that and just take um, attending a wedding as something that is... Um, innocuous that it has no meaning. Um, furthermore, I want to say that if you have a sliding scale on how you advise people, we had better make sure that the Bible allows for a sliding scale on that issue. You know, mm. we understand issues of conscience. Um, if it's sin to you, if eating meat is sin to you, then don't eat the meat. Don't cause your brother to stumble by what you approve of. We have all of those proof texts that allow us to have a sliding scale. We don't see that when it comes to active participation in those things that undermine the depiction of the Lord's bride, that undermine the depiction of the Lord's holiness, his design. All of these things have a statement that they are making or are a statement um, in culture today. And, and there was someone, because one of the things that we wanted to do 
But then we discovered that Pastor Beg had actually responded is we wanted to address some of the questions. So we've got videos on Facebook, we've got videos on YouTube, and they have garnered a lot of comments on those videos. And 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 rightfully so, because people are like, well, what are you saying? Are you saying that we should just cancel Pastor Beg? That's not at all what I'm saying. What we are saying, and I think I can speak for both of us, is that his comments on this issue in this moment are concerning mm-hmm. and furthermore wrong. Right. We believe believe that there's not a biblical basis for instructing someone to attend a ceremony that God very clearly defines and then lays out in scripture what it is meant to reflect. Um, So someone said, can you give a book chapter and verse on one of our comments about, you know, why it would be wrong for this grandmother to attend this ceremony or why it would be wrong that Pastor Beg instructed this grandmother to attend the ceremony. And so for that, one of the scriptures that I might employ, um, we already mentioned Romans chapter one, verse 32, But there's also Ephesians chapter five, which when you read in Ephesians and you're looking at the newness of life Mm -hmm. in Christ, that we now have a new community, we have a new behavior, we have a new practice that is all ours because now we are associated with Jesus Christ. So in Ephesians chapter five, the Bible reads this way, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, verse three, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks for this, you know, with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And verse seven is where I want to focus. Therefore, do not be partakers with them for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake, O sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that's what we, we do. We expose these things. We do it. We do this out of love. We want people to repent and to come to know the Lord. But at the same time, we are stern about the word of God. The word of God says what it says. And I, and I believe that, you know, know, this uh, uh, advice was very wrong. And man, I think it has far reaching effects because of who Pastor Begg is, you know, and uh, his track record once again of his teaching, you know, and this is something to be, I feel like he really needs to consider, you know, and, and to kind of some of the tone of what he's saying, I'm like, man, you know, I don't care what people say on the internet, you know, stuff like that. I just felt like, it's, it's a personal, maybe he's a personal hurt, you know, by what's happened. But I think that should cause him to evaluate what he said even more. 
Hey, if you're listening to this podcast and you are enjoying what you hear, please remember to give it a rating or to leave a comment. Let people know that this podcast is a blessing to you. It helps to grow Culture Proof and we would be so grateful. Also, if you love Culture Proof and you want to support the ministry, why not pick up some merch and look good while you support the ministry of Culture Proof? Check out every podcast. You'll find a link in the description to where you can get your Culture Proof merch and support this ministry. We appreciate it. Yeah, I think so too. And, and you know, I was, again, you never want to presume people's motives and, and you don't want to, to say that they are feeling or thinking something that you can't know. Only God knows that. And with, with glory and honor, all do the Lord's name. Um, he alone knows and searches the heart of a man. And so I, I cannot say with certainty what Pastor Beg is feeling, but there are, there, I do believe that I observe that there is a little bit of hurt and disappointment that he has been challenged on this. Um, you'll hear that we're going to continue to play a little bit of the sermon from this past Sunday. You'll hear that. I think most people will be able to hear that. And rightfully so. I mean, I if people were collectively saying, this is wrong, what you said is wrong, if you've been dropped from over 180 radio stations, that has a sting, that that is a rebuke, right, in action. And so you can understand that but there's also, I feel like just a little bit of um, a lack of humility in the way the rebuke is being received. And and again, I, I don't want to judge Pastor Begg's heart. I think that that is something that is reserved for the Lord. Um, but I, I just, I have, I have concern over what I hear in the sermon. So we'll just go back into it and, and listen. If that were the case, I would never... If that were the case, I, would never, I should never have said it in the first place. If people want to, me to recant and to repent, to repent? I, I, I repent daily because I say a lot of things that I shouldn't say. I mean, check with Sue, but the fact of the matter is I'm not ready to repent over this. I don't have to. I have never been a product of American fundamentalism. I come from a world in which it is possible for people to actually grasp the fact that there are nuances in things. Those of you who are lawyers understand this. Everything is not so categorically clear that if you put one foot out of this box, you've got to be removed from the box forever. And so, I went back to prove to myself that that really is the case, and I dug out a book that I've had since I was in my 20s, uh, Christ the Controversialist, by John Stott. And chapter 7, and I'm sure this is going to sell a lot of these books. John is now in heaven, and it won't matter to him, but uh, chapter 7 is, is on responsibility, colon, withdrawal, or involvement. So, he writes an entire chapter on this question, how in the world do we manage uh, to live in this way? And he, he outlines it by, first of all, identifying the attitude of the Pharisee. And he points out, and I'm not here to give you the whole book, but he points out that when, after the Babylonian captivity, uh, the, the, the people were repatriated, the exiles came back, and they were absolutely determined that they would not be sucked into the vortex that was represented in the, the context to which they had returned. And they were committed to holiness, 
and they knew that God required them to be holy. But what they forgot was that the holiness was, first of all, a holiness of heart and mind and thought. Some of them then decided, well, we can go fairly close to the environment in which we're living, and that is true not only then. You can read it in Nehemiah. We're reading there at the moment in, in McShane, and you can see that happening, the question of marriage and so on. As time continues, and the Jews are living, for example, in the context of Greece, uh, of Alexander the Great, and so on, the infiltration of the culture into Judaism was such that there were two branches that emerged from it. One branch were the Hellenists, who said, I think that we can engage with the culture, and uh, in doing so, they surrendered some of their convictions. On the other side of the Hellenists were the Hasideans, or the Hasidim. The Hasidim are present in contemporary America, and some of you are friends who are part of that. You meet them at the airport, and so on. And the Hasidim said, no, under no circumstances are we going to get involved in any of this stuff. Pharisees, actually, is an Aramaic term for separatists. And the Pharisees were the religious exclusives of their day. Quotes, in their determination to conform strictly to the law, they held aloof from any and every contact which, in their view, might defile them. This entailed an avoidance not only of Gentiles, not only of Hellenized Jews, whom they regarded as liberals, but of the common people as well, who through ignorance of the law no doubt broke it, and as lawbreakers were unclean. Okay, so can you respond to what you've just heard? So we have a little bit of history of um, what would have been the divide among the Jewish people. Um, you know, are we strict law keepers or are we um, a little bit, you know, loose with uh, some of our um, some of our, our commands and and therefore are able to be winsome? That's basically what I hear Pastor Beg using as an example here. Um that there are these two options. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there is a third option. I don't know, um, but I, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are here. Yeah, um, so I'm listening, and I'm just disappointed because I feel like he's <laughs> trying to skirt around, you know, um, that he made a mistake in what he said. And I don't know, maybe he truly believes what he said was correct or whatever, mm -hmm. It's just disappointing. I, even the way, and I and I would never put this on him because I don't feel like the, uh, his track record has shown this. Mm -hmm. But his response, and you know, to to what has happened, it seems so like, you know, I just say this: TD mm -hmm. Jakes, not saying they're not, they're not in the same category. Sure. But when he preached the the uh, sermon after all that stuff with P Diddy and all that stuff came out, he was like. I know who I am. I don't have to repent. You know, it's it's a defensive uh, approach where I feel like there should be some contrition and some humility. Like, you know, and I feel like it's a similar type of response. Mm. The feel of it feels like, man, like, like, no, I don't, you know, I don't have to do that because I know, you know, 
who I am and what I've done and, and, and that type of thing. And so I, I know you're asking me about, you know, just the no, Pharisee, Pharisaical thing that, that he's talking about. But I feel like it's just I'm listening and I'm disappointed mm-hmm. because from, uh, again, and I keep saying this, the track record that he has had, I, I feel like he is not sounding like himself. Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. I'm giving too much credence to him. I'm not trying to. Well, you're, I think you're taking into consideration the body of his work, like what he yeah. has preached for years, uh, what he has said unequivocally. Like, I mean, he he has been very clear on what is sin as it pertains to our sexual ethic. And so I don't think, I think that what you're feeling is based on what he has presented and what has been a blessing to the body of Christ. And I think that's why this feels so heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that would be my response. I, I feel like, I feel like he's calling people like me and you Pharisees. I think so too. And, and that's, that I feel is unfair. And I, I feel like that's unfair too, because just a year ago, he would have been categorized as a Pharisee, you know, because he was speaking. Based on how he's defining it today. Yes. Yeah. yeah. On, this is the only reason that I heard him speak like this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe he feel like, and then the whole phrasing of, I hate this, you know, nuance and things oh, are, yeah. you know, we hear that. I'm not against that word, but mm-hmm. they use that, you know, to kind of deflect from like there's a black and white. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me is when he began, as we were listening and he said, you know, um, he's not an American fundamentalist. Oh. Um, it almost gives the feeling <laughs> that there are not just blanket fundamentals of the faith, whether you're in America yeah. or you're in India. Um, that if you are a Christian, there are fundamentals, there are what we teach our children, the non-negotiables of the faith. And so I think to have a conversation where there are faithful believers who, yes, there's question about how we engage the culture. And yes, there's been debate and there have been books written about how we engage the culture. But I think what's getting missed here, and it saddens me, is that there is a fundamental statement that is being made when we allow for the redefinition of marriage. Marriage, when we allow for the redefinition of design, who is Lord over design, and when we um, acquiesce and we say, well, yes, go ahead and attend these types of ceremonies, mm-hmm. there is something inherent in that decision that almost gives credence or support to the rebellion. It's not just to say... Um, you know, I'm, I'm, and and I want to use another example, and we'll get back into the video. Oh, and I'm go ahead. See my, and my problem with that is I feel like he knows all of it. Like yeah. the, the things that we're saying, I think I think he would have preached. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I so the, the problem I'm having, I feel like he knows this. Like if that's somebody who is uh, ignorant, mm-hmm. I have more grace. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he knows this and he has preached this. Yeah. And, and now it's just, a, you know, yeah. and you have to wonder like what happened, yeah. you know? I mean, for him to say that when he counseled the grandmother that he was concerned about nothing else um, but the relationship, relationship between the grandmother and the granddaughter. And wow, like I I, I, I don't know that that is a sufficient motivation it's to not. counsel someone to do something that we don't have firm biblical support for. Mm-hmm. I want to say, you know, when I think about this issue, I think of um, the, the bakers who will not design a unique cake 
for a homosexual wedding, or I think of the wedding invitation designer um, who will not design a unique invitation, who will not create art that reflects something with which they disagree, right? And I think of what Pastor Begg is doing here, and and again, respectfully, what Pastor Begg is doing here is he's saying that the grandmother, in this case, in this case, should bake the cake. She should design the invitation as an extension of herself to her granddaughter um, in an attempt to be winsome. What I would say, as the bakers have said, as the program designers and the website designers have said, is that, look, if you want something that is already made, then you are welcome to it. But I am not going to uniquely create or express something for you that that makes me mm-hmm. give my art, my gifts, my talents to something that I disagree with, to communicate a message, to communicate a message with which I disagree. So what would that look like in in the in the case with the grandmother? Well, that would look like, okay, so I can't go to your wedding because I do not agree. Mm-hmm. I believe that marriage is defined by God and it is an eternal picture. It is not just a ceremony for temporal enjoyment. It's not just about love and feelings. So I cannot go to that. I cannot agree with that. But I will tell you this, because unless the the granddaughter is professing to be a Christian, because we have different guide stones for that, if you will, um, then the grandmother can rightly say, but you know what? I would love for you to come over to my home and spend some time with me. I'd love to minister to you. Exactly what I was thinking. I'm thinking if this granddaughter, you know, is uh, unsaved or whatever, you know, like I'm thinking I would have no problem with the grandmother going to a birthday party for the granddaughter and giving her a gift. And and this is, but we're talking about a wedding, like Mm -hmm. marriage. We're talking, this is something that is sacred. It's not the same thing. In the sense of, man, this, there's an attack on God's design. Yes. Marriage and family. And so as a Christian to affirm that you're in sin. Yes. You're in sin. Now, like I said, if it's a birthday party, I'm like going and and my granddaughter is, you know, struggling in this area. I will go to the party and mm-hmm. say, you know, a present. And, but it's different when we're talking about marriage. Yes. And I think Pastor Beg knows this. Yes. That's the thing. That's what it, it keeps coming to my mind. I believe he he knows this. Yeah. And know? it just seems like he's um, he's digging in and it saddens me. And look, there are many people who, as we have seen in the last several days, who disagree with us and believe that we are trying to cancel Pastor Beg. Oh, my goodness. If anything, what we are saying is, hey, your commentary is confusing to the body of Christ and in some ways hurtful to people who have believed that we have a, um, I don't know, a, a straight line here as far as the word of God is concerned. Yes, we are living in this world. We are in this culture, but we are not called to be of it. We are not called because we want to be winsome to be champions of sin or to affirm a lie to the destruction of the person who has asserted the lie. Like these are the things that, you know, yeah, you could describe it as attention if you want, but when did it become attention? It became attention because it was normalized in our culture. I'm trying to imagine. Christians in the 1950s deciding whether or not they would attend homosexual ceremonies, civil unions or whatever, right. or, you know, right. we have decided to, to live together and to celebrate that we're going to have somebody come and bless it. This is a sign of our time. This mm. is a sign of the era that we're living in and the error that gets, um, you know, that happens on a regular basis. Right. And so let's go back to the video here. The superior and scornful attitude which the Pharisees adopted towards the common people appears several times in the Gospels, including right here 
in chapter 15. The Pharisaic doctrine of holiness of separation from the world, he says, was a perverted doctrine. The motivation to keep yourself pure and holy is a right motivation, but it was perverted by the way in which they applied it. Instead of seeking to be holy in thought and word and deed, while retaining relationships of love and care with all men, they withdrew from social contact with sinners and despised those who didn't follow suit. They basically became a holy club, and they, in the process, became harsh and censorious. And it is that which Jesus is taking on when he tells these stories and when he gives these parables. If that's the Pharisee's attitude, what is the attitude of Jesus? Well, the attitude of Jesus is totally at variance with that of the Pharisees themselves. They were scandalized by his free and easy fraternization with these people. You can't do that. You can't go there. That's why it begins. All the the publicans and sinners who said, we got to go meet Jesus. And the Pharisees were grumbling. Can you believe this thing? He goes to the house of publicans and sinners. He meets with sinners. Bartimaeus, a blind guy. Even the disciples said, I'll be quiet, Bartimaeus. And he has to turn to his boys, and he says, hey, don't say that to Bartimaeus. Go call Bartimaeus. And he gives Bartimaeus his sight. One of the six things which the rabbi was not permitted to do was to converse with a woman in public. That was a sure indication that you were off base. That's why when his disciples came back, after they'd gone away for the food, when you read that as in the present context, you say, and they were surprised that he was talking with a woman. Why would you be surprised that he's talking with a woman? Because rabbis don't talk to women. The strictest Hasidim wouldn't even be seen talking to their own wives in public. That's how tight they wanted to draw the circle. Let uh, me just say here, so go ahead. You go ahead. I've, and you, you know, tell me yeah. what you think, but I feel like it, it's upsetting to me because I feel like he's using his teaching gift um, to, like, twist some things. That is not, that's terrible. Like, I, I feel like he's using his gift to teach to justify his wrong comments. Mm-hmm. You know, and and he's digging in and he's basically calling everybody who is saying that, man, you need to repent and you need to evaluate what you said. Pharisees, James tells us, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such uh, that as such, we will incur stricter judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying that, again, his track record is, is great. Mm-hmm. But right here, I feel like he's using that gift to justify his wrong comments. Mm. And that's egregious. Yeah, that, That's, that's yeah. not right. Yeah. The thing that's really concerning to me about this is that there is something that is so glaring about the um, illustrations that he's using is that you have these people that Jesus is going to seek and save. And even in the parable of the the prodigal son, it's the son who comes back. It's the son who shows contrition and the father then welcomes the son as he comes back. When you've got the woman of ill repute who comes in and breaks open this, you know, this pricely oil over Jesus's feet, it is her contrition that is on display. There is not one time, and I read this in one of our comments somewhere on one of our videos, that someone said, 
nowhere in scripture do you see Jesus saying, go and, and send some more, go right. and continue <laughs> on. And so when we are living and existing in this tension where even for a second, it could appear that we are giving approval to the sin. I don't care how much you protest and say, now, you know, I disagree with this, right? But come on, let's go do it. You know, you know, this is wrong. You know, this goes against everything I believe. And again, and I will just double back to this. I've already said it. Um, it's the representation of moral relativism. Yeah. I, and I feel like he's making it sound like Jesus just was hanging out with, with publicans and yeah. sinners. Yeah. Like they, they wanted to be around him. And like, like, like there was no conviction or anything. No, people were being healed. People were being convicted of sin. He would preach. He was preaching the gospel, you know, of the kingdom. So the whole thing is this picture that he's given is like, yeah, you know, and because his response was different. You know, they just wanted to be around him and like he was just hanging out with them. Man, we've heard that from people in the past. Especially when they wanted to party without conviction, oh. when they didn't want to be challenged. I mean, you look at the you look at a lot of the the Christian celebrities and when you call them out and you say, hey, you're not holding the line. You you've said that you're going to go into the world as a missionary, but you are not holding the line. Then they accuse you of being a Pharisee and man, I don't want this to be true, but it really does feel like that's what yeah. Pastor Beg is doing. Yeah, I, this, it's disappointing. And I feel like, you know, we have to hold Pastor Beg up to the, the truth of the scripture. Amen. You know, he's he's just like everyone else, that's like right. all of us, like me, like you. That's right. That, you know, we have to go by the word of God. And that's, and that's final. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate you. We talked about this last night and I appreciate your comments to me. This has been particularly difficult for me. Um, because I do see Pastor Beg as such a solid teacher. And so just in, you know, full disclosure, um, it's been hard. It's been hard to talk about it because, number one, I, I like him. I like him. Right. Um, I, I find him endearing. Um, I love his sense of humor. I love the way he presents truth in such a way that um, it's easy to understand. You know, I've got a um, his through the Bible um, teaching that I was listening to with the kids in the car. And, mm -hmm. you know, I just appreciate the work that he's done. And yeah. so this is really difficult. But I will come back to it again um, on advising someone to attend a wedding as a display of love, a, a wedding that is not a wedding. A wedding that champions rebellion against God right. and makes a mockery of the picture of Christ in the church. Uh, because remember, the, the wedding, the marriage means something. Jesus told us by his spirit, as the Apostle Paul wrote by the spirit of God, he told us what marriage is. Mm. So we know what marriage is. Mm. It's not even up for debate. And I think for um, for Pastor Beg to bulldoze over that and and to say, and then to even say that I did that in this instance, for this grandmother in this situation, but in another circumstance, I might not say the same thing. Like, where is the yeah. biblical justification for that? If it's right. not right in another circumstance, how is it right for this grandmother? I, I am just trying to understand that sliding scale, and yeah. I can't, I can't find it. Yeah. All right, let's go back to the video. I think we're nearing the end here. The Pharisees would gather up their robes in righteous horror the possibility of even coming within breathing space of a prostitute. And she comes and breaks a flask over his feet. This guy cannot be who he says he is. If he was really the Son of God, he wouldn't be doing this. Loved ones, Phariseeism is alive and well in all of our hearts. 
we have to guard against it. The motivation for purity and holiness of life and circumspection and so on is absolutely unquestionable. The real challenge comes when we are confronted by issues that don't just fit our clean little categories. What distinguished Jesus from the Pharisees, quotes Dodd, was in a word, grace. The divine initiative which first seeks and then saves the lost sinner. My daughter said to me, Dad, you were way ahead of this game a long time ago when Ellen DeGeneres came out and you preached those sermons on the gay debate. I mean, you've been so clear about this for all of your ministry. What is this about? I said, honey, I don't, I don't really know what it's about, but uh, yeah, that's right. And most recently, in dealing with Romans chapter 1. So I assume that anybody who picks this up goes, oh, well, wait a minute. Whatever, whatever he's on about there, there's no reason for alarm, because after all, listen to what he said. And this is what I said in Romans 1, talking about this very issue. Quotes, so here's the challenge. How do you do this? In other words, how do you, how do you express the love of Jesus and, and do so in a way that doesn't just compromise everything? How do you honor God, obey His Word, and treat your neighbors and your friends and your family members who have decided to go down this wrong path? Some people have decided the way to handle it is by admonition. So you just simply stand up and keep telling them, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible. Some people have decided, well, we just won't say anything at all. Just let it go, who cares? You know, it's a big world. People do different things. Neither is a possibility for a Bible-believing Christian. We are to treat with honor those who view us with hatred. Now, understand that this grandchild was an enemy of the gospel, an enemy, really, in the family circle by dint of her lifestyle, an enemy. And Jesus says, you're supposed to love your enemies. Now, we can disagree over whether I gave that grandmother good advice or not. Not everybody on the pastoral team thinks I gave very good advice. And as I said, uh, you know, on another occasion with a different person in a different context, the advice may be very different. Can we just pause there? Go ahead. <laughs> Your thoughts on that. Is he missing the whole affirmation of sin by doing, doing, doing what he has told the grandparent to do, grandmother to do? Mm -hmm. You know, is he missing Romans chapter 1, verse 32? Like, approving of, yes. like, is, is he just missing that? I just, again, I feel like he knows this. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, he can say all he, he want to say about, you know, uh, what he's done in the past. Yeah. But that only builds a case against what he's saying now. That's exactly right. And it's really concerning to me that Pastor Begg would say, I understand it, okay? Please, please, I understand it, but it does concern me that he would say, you know, man, look at my whole body of work. We are looking at the entirety of the body of work that he has contributed um, as far as preaching and teaching. Um, and that's why this is so concerning. But can I say that what you once said— 
does not absolve you from the responsibility of continuing to say the same consistent things. Exactly. And and I think so look, so com- so committed to the truth of the gospel was the apostle Paul that he wrote this to the Galatians. He said um in chapter 1, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. And this is what the apostle Paul said about himself and his traveling companions. Okay. In verse eight, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Now, now, as we have said before, verse nine. So I say again, now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel, contrary to what you received, he is to be a curse. Now, please understand what I'm saying here. I am not saying that pastor bag is to be a curse. What I am saying is that so committed to the truth and the purity of the gospel was the apostle Paul that he said, even if we come to you with something different or an angel from heaven comes to you with something different than what you originally received, don't receive that. That man is to be a curse. So when Paul, includes himself okay that that is accountability he is saying no there is just one gospel when we present a gospel that allows for us to engage and to celebrate and to ignore people's sin we are creating a different gospel and the apostle paul said to that point there is not another gospel there is just one gospel the apostle jude said the same thing we have the one faith the apostle paul said in his letter to the corinthians first corinthians chapter 15 he's saying that what he received he also delivered to us right that there is just one gospel what he received he has passed on to us we just have the faith we don't have multiple iterations of faith or of, of belief where we are free to just sort of make it up as the situation demands. Mm-hmm. And that is what is concerning to me about what Pastor Begg said. Even as he expressed this, we we played it, you heard it. He said, I may have said something different in a different situation. What is that? <laughs> right. Like I don't I don't understand that. And so with with great respect, with great respect, but with the same amount of certainty and what God's word has presented, I am disappointed and I do believe that to advise someone to not only attend a wedding but to bring a gift, I believe it is to champion sin. It is it is to give um a conflicting message at best, mm-hmm. right? A conflicting well, I should say a conflicting message at least. It's a conflicting message. Um, probably the worst case scenario is that the granddaughter believes that she is okay. Yeah. That she is okay. And what she's engaging in. Let's, yeah. let's wrap up with pastor Beggs uh, comments here from Sunday. But at least let's acknowledge the fact that what we're doing is we're wrestling with biblical principle. And when principle for, let's say, holiness of life comes up against the principle of love for your enemy, how are, you, how are you going to put that together? What happens to homosexual people, in my experience, quotes, is that they are either reviled or they are affirmed. The Christian has to say, we will not treat you in either of those ways. We cannot revile you, but we cannot affirm you. And the reason that we can't revile you is the same reason why we can't affirm you, because of the Bible because of God's love, because of His grace, and because of His goodness. 
I, you know, I think we've, I think we've said and we've heard what, what we needed to hear. Yeah. And I, I mean, I agree with his statement at the end, but I feel like it's, <laughs> I feel like at the end, I, what I was hearing from was like a politician because mm-hmm. all within the sermon, he was saying all kind of other stuff that was like, Oh, Ooh, like, you know, shots at Christians who are <laughs> trying to hold hold them accountable, you know, but then at the end, it's like, we can't affirm or, but you were affirming by get this answer that you gave this grandma, that's yeah. affirming, it's, it's, it's weird, it's crazy, it's like, wow, my mind's trying to grasp how this guy with this uh, background and, and track record, you know, is missing all of this stuff, and I just can't escape the feeling of feeling like he knows it. Yeah. Like he knows this stuff, you know, but anyway, it's just, it's, it's really disappointing. It it really is. It it grieves me. And, and I want to do this before we go out of this particular episode of the podcast. Um, I would like to ask Will the Great to uh, just pray for Pastor Beg and to pray for his pastoral team. You know, he mentioned that not everybody on the pastoral team agreed with the advice that he gave to this grandmother. I can imagine that that causes a little bit of tension. And then when you have the fallout that you have, I would just imagine that that is intensified. This is a thriving church. And um, Pastor Begg has contributed um, in incredible ways to the body of Christ, and I'm grateful for that. And so what we want to do is we want to pray for him, want to pray for his family. I I know because I watched the entire sermon from Sunday, um, and he shared some comments. And you could see at some points um, there was a a little bit of an emotional response. He has been made aware of um, what he, I think he called it like a storm in a teacup. And, and I'm sure he feels that. And so I just would like for us to to pray for him. Yeah, Lord, I pray um, for the, for Pastor Begg in this situation. I pray, God, that um, uh, that you would uh, speak to his heart. And I pray, God, that on this issue, Lord, I I just can't escape the, the fact that I believe that he knows um, the stance that your word has on this, Lord. But I pray, God, if there's any pride, that you would um, humble him, Lord. I pray, God, I do pray for his family. I pray for the ministry that you have entrusted uh, in his care. And I pray, God, that uh, you uh, will cause uh, the people, the staff, the pastors, God, to uh, also pray for Pastor Begg and for his family. And I pray, God, that they would stand firm on what they know to be your word, God, and that they wouldn't flinch as well, God, because I know this whole thing is pressurized. But, God, we are all humans. We can we can make fallible statements. We can do things that are not right. So that there is mercy and grace, Father God, but you desire for us to have a heart of humility. So I do pray for that for Pastor Begg, oh God. And I pray, Lord, uh, that this situation may, may be rough for him right now. But God, I pray that it will cause him to do a survey of his of his own heart and he say he's not ready to repent. God, I pray, God, that, that, that to me that means that there's a possibility that he's open in some form. Yeah, um, but I pray that you will speak to him. You would speak to him that it's not of what we say on the Internet or anything like that. But Holy Spirit, he's yours. So speak to his heart and that you would show him uh, these things, oh God. And I pray, Father God, that you would uh, be with his church. Uh, He has a a big church, but also a reach around the world. Hmm. So, God, I I, I know many are affected by the words that he he says. And so, Lord, I pray, Father God, that um, no one would back off what you know, what they know to be true from your word. Uh, because of these statements, Father God, that you will fortify your bride. God, uh, in the time where things are being said on the left, on the right, everywhere, God, I pray that we will rest on the truth of your word. And Lord, we thank you. We praise you, God. Um, 
just for situations like this, that the body of Christ could be sharpened, that you would help us all, God, to have uh, humility in our hearts, God, and to be able to speak rightly concerning your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know this is a little bit of a longer episode, but, you know, sometimes things take care and they take time um, to be able to do it right. And um, we don't take this lightly at all. We want to be among those who resist the cultural trends that rival the truth so that we can remain culture proof until next time. Lord willing. God bless.